You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I am your co-host, Brandon Ware. And I'm here too. I didn't know if you were going to chime in or not. Dr. Jess, I was waiting for, I'm with my partner, the lovely Dr. Jess. Isn't that what you usually say? It is what I say, but you, I thought you were going to chime in. All right. Well, I'm here now and I want to give a big thank you to Desire Resorts and Desire Cruises. Check them out online at Desire Experience. Today, we are so fortunate to be joined by Honestly Nay, sex educator, professional dom, dom instructor. You go by the name Sire. Mm -hmm. Explain to us Sire. Sire in kink spaces, uh, because I'm royalty and you will address me as such. So yes, Sire, no Sire, more Sire. Oh man, shit just got real. (laughs) Seriously though. It reminded Brandon of last night with me, pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how she wants to be addressed. No, slightly different language, but the same (laughs) message. Now, you are a BDSM educator, Mm -hmm. a kink educator. You are going to be a sex therapist opening a practice very soon. Yes. And you and I were in North Carolina. Mm -hmm. We determined that. Not South Carolina, (laughs) not Mid-Carolina. The North one. The North one for the North Carolina... Sex conference. Convention? Yeah. Conference convention? SexCon. It was amazing. It was brilliant. It was so well done. And one of my favorite events at this conference was the Pecha Kucha Night. Pecha Coochie? Pecha Coochie? Pecha Coocher. Pet your coochie? Pet your coochie. With consent. <laughs> <laughs> so Pecha Kucha is a presentation style where you show 20 images, each for 20 seconds, and you talk for 20 seconds per image to tell a story. Yeah. And there were 12 presenters that night. You were one of the presenters. Mm-hmm. You presented Kink in Color. Yes. Celebrating black bodies and kink spaces. And I would love, and Brandon has been requesting, because he started to watch it on your Instagram, and your Instagram is honestly nay. Mm-hmm. So he wants to see and hear the rest of it. So you're going to run through your Pecha Kucha presentation for us right now. All right. All right. Let's do this. Here we go. All right. So I am Honestly Nay, a sexuality professional uh, by day, which basically means that I host comprehensive education workshops. I talk about healthy relationships and consent and reproductive justice and contraception, all the things, right? But by night, I am Sire, a professional dominatrix. You will address me as such in kink spaces. Yes, Sire, no Sire, more Sire. Um, And as a professional dominatrix, I get to help people live out their kinky or their BDSM fantasies in a safe way. Um, And I get to help people kind of explore that side of themselves. Now, my kink journey started when I was in high school. I don't really remember how we set it up, but I had a boyfriend and I handcuffed him and he broke my handcuffs. And I was very, very upset because he did not buy me new handcuffs. Um, But that was kind of my first inroad into approaching kink and BDSM sexuality. Now, I learned about kink and BDSM from Talk Sex with Sue Johansson. I was real good with that back button to Nickelodeon from watching Skinamax. Um, <laughs> I was also watching Real Sex, Cat House, um, and I had a couple Karma Sutras that I think gave me the inspiration to buy the set of handcuffs and try some kinky stuff with my partner. 
Well, today's people, today's youth are learning about BDSM from Fifty States of Grey, which is just horrible. For one, it's not ethical BDSM. None of the things that are happening, actually the movie was very triggering. <laughs> None of the things that were happening were positive or were healthy. Um, it's also just bad in general. And in the entire three movies in the whole universe, there are no people of color, which mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. There's no one's walking down the sidewalk with melanin. <laughs> like I looked, right? <laughs> So when I tell um, black people and other people in particular that I am a kink practitioner, that I teach people BDSM, that I do this for money, they look at me like I'm crazy. They look at me like I have three boobs, like they can't understand (laughs) why (laughs) I would be engaging in this. Um, So in an effort to, um, oh, and then I tell them that this is what I do and they always hit me with my favorite statement, which is that's white people shit. So in an effort to make this less white people shit to acknowledge that people of color this is y'all shit too we're gonna try to break down what bdsm and kink is in an effort to kind of educate now kink falls underneath the umbrella of bdsm um yeah but we'll start with the b so the b in bdsm stands for bondage so that's tying your partner up tying them down tying their arms to a chair tying their legs to the bed there's a particular kind of bondage known as shibari which is japanese erotic bondage which uses um silk ropes to tie your partner up and you're able to make really pretty artistic designs you can also use this to suspend your partner um and it's something that um comes out of japan it's part of the japanese culture And it was also developed through the colonization of Asia. Um, So a lot of the things that we know about Shibari were practiced and developed on some of those prisoners that they captured while they were colonizing Asia. Um, Keeping that in mind though, we're still able to make these really pretty artistic, very expressive kinds of um, rope bondages and such. The next is D, which stands for dominance. Um, Basically, that is just the act of dominating your partner. So there's typically a dominant and a submissive, a top and a bottom, a person who is inflicting and a person who is um, receiving. And that is just a type of power dynamic. It doesn't have to be 24-7. It can be something that you're only doing in this space at this time. But that is the D. Now the S and the M can be translated two different ways. The first is sadomasochism. So a sadist, myself, gets sexual pleasure from inflicting pain on the masochists, which are usually my submissives, which are people who get sexual pleasure from receiving pain. And this can be inflicting pain, humiliation, um, basically you're doing something that you're inflicting pain. That's basically how I can break it down. You're um, in the, my slide. I have a picture of a bruised booty because um, I've inflicted. So we had an impact play session and she was able to get some bruises. And I got off. She got off. It was a good time. Had by all. Um, the last S&M stands for slave and master. And this is another form of dominance. It's another power dynamic, but it typically implies a 24-7 relationship. So you might have a slave that's like a domestic slave that like washes your clothes and like cleans your house you might have a sex slave who's just there to be your sex toy your plaything to play with whenever you want Um, but it typically implies a 24-7 relationship so after I break down what BDSM stands for and I'm like yeah people of color so let's jump in and do this they look at me (laughs) like Sophia from the color purple with that (laughs) all my life I had to fight what makes you think that I want to be beat in my bedroom tied up or humiliated in my bedroom Um, in particular for people of color and maybe some others there's a lot of things that stand in the way from being able to embrace a BDSM or a kinky lifestyle for people of color one of those things in particular is that a lot of the things that we do in kink 
spaces resemble some of the things done to our ancestors when we were enslaved. Um, one thing in particular, gagging, is the act of covering someone's mouth, um, either with a ball gag, with a bandana. Now, I, as a dominant, might gag my slub because I want you to communicate with me in a different way other than using your mouth. Or sometimes I just don't want to hear what you have to say. And I just want to put something in your mouth so you stop talking to me. Whereas some of our ancestors were gagged so that way they weren't able to communicate in their mother language. They weren't able to communicate with other people from their tribes. They weren't able to express themselves. It was a means to kind of, a means to kind of remove that culture that they were trying to perpetuate that slave masters and slave owners did not want. Another thing in particular is the act of um, impact play. So flogging, whipping, cropping, caning. A lot of these things, a lot of, um, especially if you Google American slavery and you start to see like the whip marks that are coming off of people, a lot of those things really resemble some of the things that our ancestors were put through. Even the act of tying a person up to a door, tying them up to the bed highly resembles some of the things that our ancestors um, had to go through that they did not consent to. But that word right there, um, Consent is kind of the main thing that differentiates it. Even the act of being submissive to a person, being less than to a person, being subhuman to a person is definitely something that people of color deal with still today. So um, those are definitely barriers that people of color, maybe even other people experience when they're trying to engage in BDSM and kink. But there are three main things that separate what we do today versus what was done to us back then. And that's safe, sane, and consensual. So the first is safe. Now, safe is subjective. I think it's perfectly safe to tie my submissive up for 20 minutes and poke them with an electro wand and run claws down their body and melt hot wax down their titties. I think that that is perfectly safe. But again, it is subjective. That's a conversation that we're going to need to have. The next is sane. I think it's perfectly sane to set my submissive on fire and make s'mores. But again, that is subjective. So that's a conversation that we're going to need to have. Now, in those two, the one thing that we need is consent. And as an empathetic, enthusiastic yes, that yes can be revoked at any time. And that yes can be changed or manipulated depending on what's going on at that point in the moment. So safe, sane, and consensual is what makes BDSM ethical. So if you're, um, yeah, it makes BDSM ethical. And then the last part is aftercare. So aftercare is what you're gonna do after a scene. That's what we call anytime you engage in BDSM, you have a scene. So what you do after the scene to um, bring that submissive back to reality, to make sure that you know they don't have any burns because you set them on fire, to make sure that they don't have any bruises that you know they can't function with throughout the day. What are you gonna do after the scene to make sure that that person is okay? Doms also need aftercare as well. I like to say, what are you gonna do to make sure that I don't go out into the world expecting people to lick my boots all the time, you know? Because that may not be what someone wants to do on the streets at four o'clock in the afternoon. But if that's the headspace I'm in, I need a moment to get out of that headspace, right? Um, so one thing that I always tell people when you want to engage or play in BDSM for the first time, I highly recommend that you get a professional dom, you get a facilitator, um, but no matter who you choose to work with for your first time or whoever you choose to work with in general, you wanna make sure that it is ethical, which means that they're practicing that safe, sane, and consensual. And more information about my services and videos and more things to tantalize you are all available on my social media. Wow. Yeah. All from memory. Yeah. And you're, you're a natural performer. I'm gonna beg you to perform for us later some of your 
parodies. Yes, sex positive parodies. <laughs> so that's the Pecha Kucha style. I love the I love the style of presenting a story in about six and a half minutes. And of course, really appreciate the content. I'm going to back off because I can see that Brandon's eyes are full of questions. No, I just I feel for a s'more right now. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like I'm kind of. They taste better when you melt the marshmallow when on titties. When there's burnt flesh on it. I mean, the goal is not to burn the flesh, right? There's a I'm safe way to do that. That's another thing about BDSM and kink is like, I say that, but I also know how to do that. Um, and you don't ever want to practice something. Um, you don't ever want to try things that you don't know that you don't know how to do. And you want to let your submissive know, hey, I've never done this before. I watched a YouTube. We're going to give it a try. If you want to give it a try. But I also highly recommend that you get like training. There are other doms who know how to do this, who whose quote unquote mistakes or quote unquote troubleshooting that you can learn from them. So that way you don't make those same actions, especially when you're talking about anything that could be physically damaging to the body. And it's interesting because in the kink world, in the world of BDSM sex, we often see the sex acts themselves Mm. as higher risk. But in fact, because of the safe, sane, consensual awareness, because most people are going and taking classes, because if you're doing this in a dungeon, there's a safety monitor there, Mm -hmm. the risk of physical harm, and I'm going to say this anecdotally as opposed to database because I don't have the data. We don't have the data. No one's studying this. No. (laughs) The risk is probably lower Mm -hmm. because there is so much conversation. Mm -hmm. There's negotiation. There's constant verbal or visual Mm check-ins you've discussed what your safe word or safe signal may be and then the aftercare Mm -hmm. so i want to go back to the setting on fire because people are probably wondering what that is and you covered a lot of ground and i think it's easy for certain topics to be glossed over but i want to ask you about setting on fire (laughs) what is the what is fire play how do you practice it safely so fire play um is is a form of edge play and all edge plays are plays that we deem quote unquote like more dangerous than like a spanking right um so fire play is something that i've been working on but basically you use kind of a um like a flammable lubricant that is um body safe and gives you a lot of like the flash of the fire but you also are paying attention to what you're doing so that way you don't set this person on fire and you don't like burn them or cause them bodily harm because that is not the goal the goal is because it's fun to look at so the lube or the the liquid that you're using is flammable so you're lighting that on fire as mm-hmm. opposed to as the opposed skin. to the skin yeah. yes so there's a barrier between the fire and the skin and you're setting the lubricant on fire as opposed to the skin you're also paying attention to like where this person's hair is because i in particular play with a lot of black girls who wear a lot of synthetic hair which is very flammable so you are paying attention to where their hair is you're paying attention to where their clothing is you're paying attention to do i have water or fire extinguisher the thing about um edge plays that you always want to have your your tools in case shit goes wrong right there so i want to have my pitcher of water i want to have a fire extinguisher i also want to have a buddy a partner there who can see the whole scene because sometimes when you're in it you can only see what you're doing right then and there as opposed to all of the surroundings that are happening as well so um it's definitely something that you have to learn it's not something that i would just attempt to do for your first time i would try to go to a dungeon and find a dungeon master or a dom who has experience in this um but the goal is not to set anybody on fire to burn them it's the the visual aspect that um especially if you like playing with fire if you're a pyromaniac um like i kind of am then and it's something that you can definitely like visually enjoy getting off on and then you can make snacks 
when I went to do training in a dungeon many, many years ago, they asked for volunteers, but there were too many volunteers, so mm-hmm. I've never actually been set on fire. Mm. But one thing I observed was there was a marshal, mm-hmm. somebody for safety, who was holding a fire blanket mm-hmm. just in case. Now, is there the opportunity here for me to get set on fire in the dungeon downstairs? I don't have my fire setting materials. I also don't know. This was, a, I just came back from dungeon master training oh. and it wasn't explicitly said that I couldn't set someone on fire, but I also didn't bring the things to set someone on fire. So, you know, I might do a Google search and see. Maybe, maybe <laughs> to know someone... what the customs looks like when you're going through to get here. What, what have you got in your bag? There? You got some stuff to put people on fire. Well, I love s'mores. traveling with, um, with all my kink and BDSM stuff. So TSA pulls my bag almost every single time. Cause I like, like, especially like my floggers my canes my crops my um my electro wand those things are expensive and you know i will i will hold on to them so they always stop me in this this time go around they stop me because i had too many dicks in my bag (laughs) i believe any bag with a dick has too many dicks in it well i like options so i have three dicks in my bag currently um they stopped me because i had too many dicks in my bag and then he also stopped me for my um my electro wand and like he pulled out the electro wand first and was like what is this and i was like oh it's a uh, it's an electro play thing he was like electro play i was like yeah i'm a professional dominatrix i like to shock people with my electro wand and he like pulled it out initially and then heard me say like kinky sex stuff and then like put it down like it was gonna explode and then like moved on to like the next thing that lit up on their computer screens and it was my bag of dicks <laughs> he like pulled it up and i was like oh that's my bag of dicks and he was like okay <laughs> but, but <laughs> let's stop right there because people are curious mm-hmm. let's not pretend like that person randomly stopped you like i mm. get it there's stuff in your in your bag that set off the sensors but ultimately people are interested in this stuff mm-hmm. and i think that they're curious but they don't know how to go about starting it so that was actually one of my questions was yeah. so you started by handcuffing your partner mm-hmm. your one like when you were younger and so that piqued some interest but where did you go from there if you don't mind me asking what was the next step because you're not lighting people on fire after a youtube video <laughs> after you handcuff your partner like that was fun let me light you on fire so what was step number two after you realized you liked that hmm i think that it was really seeing it on like talk sex with you talk sex with sue and seeing it on real sex seeing that people were doing this other kind of thing and like even having like that karma sutra i think the next thing was like let's try all these new different positions and then it turned into i really like spanking people which is just like something i can do with my hand i can just impact play with your butt kind of thing and as you I think once you like open that door, you can go as far into the world as you want to go. So I think handcuffs and like bondage was easy because I was easily accessible, but that was like the opening of the door. And then just seeing stuff on TV, reading stuff in like Cosmo, like that really started to like pique my interest. And then I started to go out and find more things. I love this. There's so many jokes I've wanted to insert, (laughs) like opening the door, how far you're going to go. But so... So yeah, so you've you've done that. That's step number two. And then step number three, would you say, it sounds to me like going to a dungeon or going to a place, a safe space mm-hmm. where you can see it in real life, would that be like a, a natural progression? Because you must at some point 
have realized like I really like this mm-hmm. from step number one you're kind of like ooh, this is this is doing it for me and then step number two is like yeah this is really doing it for me and is that when you're kind of like let's see what this world entails and mm-hmm. is that how some of these new experiences started coming about because you went to a dungeon and somebody's like I'm doing bondage mm-hmm. and then I'm doing fire play and you see all of that and then you get to start to experience it yeah I think for me I definitely started off in the realm of sexuality education so I was like I just want to teach you how to put on condoms and how not to make babies and you know HIV there's a way to prevent it but you're okay if you get it as well kind of thing and through education starting to talk to more people I started getting asked like a lot of questions about kink and BDSM that I just didn't have the answers to um and compared to like a lot of my peers I went to my first play party maybe like five years ago so I and like I tell people that and they're like oh I've been going to Dungeons since I was like 16. And I was like, yeah, when I was 16, I met Sue. Like, so that, you know, like everyone has like their kind of own kind of branching point. But I definitely think that there's no real like path. It's definitely one of those once you see it, you know, you can be it kind of thing. Um, But I think that even if you have a little bit of interest, like I, I take people to play parties and I take people to like sex clubs. Like I'll be like your sex club buddy. So that way I can like hold your hand and like explain things to you. So you don't feel alone. You don't have to do anything. You can go do something if you want to. So like as that safe person to kind of like guide people through like a sex club or like a play party kind of thing. Um, But I also feel like there's a lot of kinksters that aren't going to go to a play party, right? They're just going to be kinky in their own bedrooms. They may not be something that they want to do out in the real world and I think that that traveling down that avenue is really like just being exposed to things just following people on their social media watching ethical porn on your computer like I don't think that there's I wouldn't chronologic it into like step one step two step three I think that people kind of jump on the path when they do and once you look for more you start to find more I appreciate that. I appreciate that it's not always linear, that, you know, you're an educator and you were a late bloomer mm-hmm. in this respect. Now, do you differentiate between kink in the bedroom and kink in the li- in a daily lifestyle? So you talked, for example, about people who maybe, maybe act in a submissive or a slave-like role all day long versus mm-hmm. people who just do it in bed. Do you have a differentiation there and any observations between kink in the bedroom versus kink in your life for sure i definitely think that for me when i first got into the world of like kink and bdsm that was a part of like my sex right so kink and bdsm was like foreplay and then we would have sex afterwards and like as a professional dom i have to separate sex from that kink and that bdsm simply because i'm not gonna have sex with all my clients right um so for me there's there was that situation and like learning how to separate kink from sex and learning how to exist just purely in a kinky space and how to like give myself permission to allow like sex and sexuality to dance in that space as well um and then also for like full-time um like a full-time bdsm lifestyle especially that power exchange between like slave and slave master and like having submissives so i've never had like a full-time slave i've never had um, a person at my beck and call all the time mostly because that's a lot of energy <laughs> and that's a lot of work to have a full-time slave that you are responsible for and you have to like direct what they're because like your slave can't 
breathe unless you give them permission to kind of breathe. I think people would think that, oh, it would be great to have someone, as you said in your presentation, to do my laundry. But in fact, the responsibility falls on both Mm -hmm. parties in an active role. Yes, 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 yes. So like I've had maybe like a submissive who will be like a rope bunny for me that like I practice like my rope bondage on and like they compensate me in tying them up and like practicing those skills on them. Maybe they do like clean the house and then like, but they're only here like once a week kind of thing. Whereas like a full-time submissive, like a person who's like, just speaking from some of like my mentors I know who have full-time submissives, like texting you when they wake up, texting you to say, what outfit should I wear today? What should I eat right now? Now I think that that can probably be um, a very extreme kind of um, dominant submissive kind of relationship. But even just the act of like, having somebody work like an event that I'm doing. Like I need volunteers, I need submissives to be here for this event. That's still like a lot of responsibility that I have. And that's a lot of responsibility that that submissive has as well for me to be able to be like, I need you to do boom, boom and boom. And I need to like check on you and make sure, cause that's like the point of having a sub, right? Especially if you have um, a sub who gets off on, like I just got done reading a short story about a submissive or like they were in a relationship, but um, one was more dominant, one was submissive. And every time the submissive cooked, they were a great cook, but like the Dom would be like, oh my God, this food's horrible. And he would like cane her. Um, But that was just like their role play. That's just some things that they would do kind of thing, right? But like even kind of that dynamic on the regular, sometimes, especially since I do so much, like I'm not like in a, I want to Dom you right now all the time anyway. Um, And I'll meet like a lot of people who know me from social media who will be like, oh wow, like I met you and you were like real chill and like real calm and you weren't like, barking orders at me like not what I expected I'm like that takes so much energy yeah you've never told me what to do yeah <laughs> the podcast is still young <laughs> what what about if you don't mind me asking about your role or you, you being a, a like having clients mm-hmm. what what might somebody who has who's a professional dom what, what they might might they earn per hour like how does that work um like what's what's a range? Hang Could on, it be hang su- on. How much money did you bring? No, I, I don't think I brought enough. <laughs> he only has eighteen dollars in his wallet. in his pocket right I'm now. I'm just curious. Okay. Um, so I uh, one of the ways that like I do like my pricing and my scaling is I kind of dictate like how much is my time worth per minute especially if you're a new person you're not going to book an hour-long session with me. You're going to tap out long before this hour is over, or we're going to. Um, not be able to explore something so fully. So for for new clients, I usually recommend like a 30 minute session and the first 10, 15 minutes of that session is we're gonna talk. <laughs> we're gonna explore um, what, you, what you're looking for, what it is that you want, and then we'll have like a little bit of a taste for you to be able to be like, oh, okay, this might be something that I like. So that way you can then thus book another like full kind of session. Um, so based on like what I see, I see a lot of doms who charge maybe like $2 to $5 a minute. Okay. Um, and then you kind of branch it and scale it off of that way. But that entire time is the, our initial conversation where I'm going to lay down what we're going to do. I'm going to lay down your safe words. I'm going to lay down what you need for aftercare, the scene and the aftercare. And then depending on like the kind of client that I have, because I have clients that'll be like super submissive that I'll be like, okay, now you need to clean up everything. All of that needs to happen within whatever chunk of time that it is that you've scheduled. When someone books with you and they're brand new Mm -hmm. to this world, what are the questions you ask them in that initial session so that you can better understand their needs? For sure. So a lot of the clients that are, 
a lot of the clients that I have and a lot of the clients that I'm really interested in working with are survivors of trauma and survivors of um, intimate partner trauma or sexual violence. And I feel like kink and BDSM is such a useful tool for that population because there's so much consent, there's so much conversation, and there's aftercare that takes place afterwards. Also, when you're a survivor of trauma, when you're a survivor of violence, your body gets rewired. So some of the things that may get someone who may not have experienced violence off is not going to be enough or is not going to create enough of a dynamic needed for a person who has been a survivor of trauma. So um, with those clients in particular, actually with all my clients, I kind of ask what it is they're looking for. I want to know what you know about kink and BDSM, what you've learned about it. I want to know what you're interested in. I get a lot of clients who have been like, well, I saw a video on Pornhub last night and I just really want to try that. And I'll be like, okay, how much experience do you have <laughs> with this thing? Like, how much experience do you have with flogging or with caning? What is it that you're hoping to experience? Are you just trying to be more into your body? Are you just trying to, like, explore this side of your personality? Are you just looking to see what this is all about? Because everybody keeps talking about it. I also want to know if you have any injuries, if there's, if you have any joint issues or any mobility issues. Because if you're interested in bondage, that's going to dictate how I'm able to tie you up, depending on if you have any bodily injuries. Um, I also want to know if there's any um, boundaries that you have in your body. Is there any place that you don't want me to touch you? Is there any place that you do want me to touch you? Um, And then also just knowing kind of any of that like background information, especially if they're a survivor of trauma. So like, what are your triggers? What, not necessarily like what happened. You don't have to give me all of that information, but if for some reason, like you don't want anything tied around your waist, like I need that bit of information that you can't tie anything up around my waist. Or um, like, I really like the idea of like sensory deprivation, but you can't put a blindfold on me. I'll just keep my eyes closed kind of thing. So, and that's like the, the, the negotiation factor of it as well as being able to be like what is your goal that you're trying to achieve and then how can we work together for you to achieve that goal and a lot of people especially a lot of people who don't practice ethical BDSM think that like the dom is supposed to be in control like I tell you what to do when to do and how to do it but doms really have we don't have any control we are merely like leading the scene but I can only do what you're okay with doing and if I don't have someone who trusts me enough to submit because that first conversation is all about building trust and and making sure that you know that like I am here for you and I'm only going to do the things within the scope of what you've said is okay so it's the submissives that have all the power I get to wear you know the leather but y'all have all the power so it's interesting that people who have dealt with trauma are coming to you and probably because you're trauma informed and have become known for that and I also think it's important to just remind people that you know most people enjoy some component of sex of kinky sex Mm -hmm. and this is not necessarily a result of abuse so when Mm -hmm. you look at the research it continues to confirm that for instance a history of childhood abuse is no higher within the kink communities because a lot of people and Fifty Shades of Grey Mm -hmm. have conflated the the two right I'm into kink because of abuse, and that's not to say that can't, kink cannot be an outlet through which you overcome mm-hmm. or move move through that trauma, but it's not necessarily related. Yeah, and there's no direct correlation. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's fascinating because it's the opposite of what I think a lot of people would assume is that if you're going to, uh, in, if you're getting into BDSM, that you certainly wouldn't be going there if you've been 
subjected to some sort of abuse. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah, it makes perfect sense that you're working within the boundaries that I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, the sub is the one in control. I don't know why I hadn't ever really thought about it like that, but it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So you're leading a scene, and how do you come up with the scenes with the, uh, the person that you're working with? For sure. So it's a combination of person sits in my chair. I'm like, okay, what do you want to do today? Kind of thing. Like, you know, last time you were here, you were really into suspension. We had a lot of fun, you know, tying you up in positions in which you were on all fours. Is that something that you want to continue with today? Um, or maybe are you interested in some impact play or some breath play or... I don't know, some like queening, like, do you want me to sit on your face today? Like, what is it that you're interested in doing kind of today? And then also looking at like, okay, how much time do we have to do this thing? And then also looking at, mm. no, those are the main two things that I usually go with. It's like, what do you want to do? And how much time do we have to do it? With um, new people who come in, I have to be the one to be like, okay, like these are all of the different things that I know. Here is my, <laughs> my uh, kinky CV choose something that interests you or even being like you know what are some kinky bdsm things that you've seen like on tv that you might want to come in and reenact today um and then also paying attention to okay so like you want to do a scene where you're tied up and you want to be tied up laying on your back on your stomach there's like so many questions and like i'll have people who come in the first time and they'll be like wow i didn't know it was so much it's like yeah it's basically like ordering a subway sandwich like what kind of bread do you want what kind of meat do you want what kind of cheese do you want kind of thing um so that way we can fully break it down and then it's up to me to make sure that I can open the scene, close the scene, and do that aftercare in that allotted amount of time. It sounds as though there is just as much talking about sex or talking about the scene in terms of time as actually playing it out, and that makes sense. And if we could approach all types of sex, mm -hmm. including vanilla sex, with the same care, the same preparation, the same check-ins, the same follow-through, we'd all be better off. And I think that's a good reminder that even if you're not kinky or you don't feel that this kink is your kink, but it's okay. We all need a little bit more communication and to really take time to better understand because there's no default setting for kinky people. What one kinky person wants, another person would consider vanilla. Another mm -hmm. person would consider repugnant. And it, the same applies for vanilla folks. So I love vanilla folks. <laughs> I love when people come in, especially like when I get a new partner who will be like, um, when I have a new partner, he'll be like, you know, I expected you to want to do like all of this like outrageous stuff on our first date. And you were actually just like real chill. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like, like vanilla sex, especially when people come to me and they're like, I'm not kinky, I'm vanilla. Vanilla sex is so important, especially when I have couples who are interested in engaging in kink and BDSM for the first time. Like, it's kind of like getting a tattoo. Like one just doesn't walk in and get a full sleeve in one day. That doesn't just happen. Like, you're not just going to come up to me and be like, okay, now I'm going to send you out with the tools how to like to set your partner on fire after like our first consultation like vanilla sex is so important because kink and bdsm is like additional toppings it's like it's like rocky road ice cream but if you don't have like really good tasty solid vanilla then your rocky road is just shitty vanilla with a bunch of shit in it like no one wants that you want really good tasty foundational vanilla and then you want to start to throw in those sprinkles and the pop rocks and the gummy worms and all the things. But you need a good vanilla base. And I tell people that and they're like, whoa, so we can just like, we don't have to just like jump into the deep end. And it's like, no, like next time you're like in the kitchen 
tap their booty that's kinky <laughs> like if you want to have sex on the stairs that's kinky you ever had sex in the car that's kinky so people think that like when they think about kink i think they mostly think about edge play that peeing on somebody or setting someone on fire like choking somebody those are all outrageous extreme things and i don't do those so i'm vanilla but it's like but i also know for like a fact that you like to like spank your partner with a belt that's kinky so like getting out of this idea that like vanilla is somehow wrong or that kink is like only the extremes. I think people are going to want to learn a whole lot more about this rocky road. And you mm-hmm. share tidbits on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Nay. Yes. Nay is N-A-E. Yep. So folks, you can check out more there. Tons of great information. Before you go, I want you to lead us out with one of your parodies can you describe it better than me yeah so i write sex positive parodies so i take like mainstream songs and then i give them like a sexy twist um and yeah so like any other parody that you might see but my all my parodies are like sex related can you can you send us out with one sure so this is an excerpt from you do it right which i wrote for masturbation may last year um to bruno mars's that's what i like but it's um I got my water-based lubricant, silicone-based lubricant, about to do something that comes with oh so many benefits. It keeps you happy, makes you feel better, and puts you to sleep. Can check your attitude, reset your mind, boost so you can think. And people try to tell you that you shouldn't do it, but it ain't their business. Pleasure, boo, pursue it. You're worth it, you deserve it, you're entitled to it. It's your right, I ain't gonna judge it if you do it every day and night. Thank you so much, and thank you for listening, folks. Make sure you follow along. Thank you to at Desire Experience. Check them out, and we'll be back next Friday and every Friday with a whole new episode. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.